Welcome to episode 16 of Electric Violin Shop's Rockstar Violinist Podcast. This is a beeped version of our interview with Earl Manian. If you want the unbeeped version, you can look for that on your platform. Earl is one of the most extreme violinists I know. He is not only an ultra-high-level player, he is also super exploratory in the world of metal. And there are two very different implementations of that that you'll hear today. You're listening to one of those right now. This is Earl's version of a Dillinger Escape Plan song called 43% Burn. This is the version where Earl, where he brings metal to the violin. The other version of Earl is where he brings the violin to metal. We'll hear some of that too. This episode of Rockstar Violinist is brought to you by Electric Violin Shop, your one-stop shop for all things related to electric bowed strings. From instruments to amps, pedals to loopers, bows to cables, or even just advice and expertise from the most experienced and knowledgeable staff on the planet, EVS is the place. Find them at electricviolinshop.com. Now, Earl and I got a chance to sit down this past spring in New York City. Here's my chat with Earl Manian, rock star violinist. All right, so I guess uh, should we should we get started? Yeah. So the whole gist of the podcast is that we're finding violinists that are doing things that are non-traditional. You know, it's just like you're. I'm not satisfied with. Beethoven and Bach and Mozart is the only thing I do. And so it's a podcast sort of to inspire kids that are maybe in, in school to say, you know, this this is all right. Playing the violin's all right, but this music isn't really lighting my fire. Are there other options for me? You know, do I have to go pick up the guitar if I want to play something else, other styles of music? And we're saying, no, man, you do whatever you want with a violin. That's a really interesting... Uh point you're making I mean uh, because you think about it uh, classical music as it is you know like enshrined is a bunch of dead white guys from Europe right right like uh, not even like uh, you know common knowledge not even like renaissance stuff it's Bach you know and uh, Bach and uh, up to like I don't know like I would even say like Stravinsky Rite of Spring is that that's it you know or Bartok or something you know what I mean like this, so there's this gap there's this sort of very stratified and very kind of like tightly bordered uh space mm-hmm. for, for 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 this kind of music to exist which doesn't necessarily always relate to a person's environment or relate to a person's upbringing or cultural experience so it's 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 which isn't to take away from actually the the i think objective value of this music because I'm not, you know, I, 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 I don't know how other electric violinists or violists, you know, feel about this. But I have no, no animosity towards, um, towards that, towards classical music. I think it's, I think, you know, deservedly so. Bach is a transcendental genius. Period. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, like uh, you know, like the, there's, there's zero. I, I may have felt differently. I think maybe when I was like. 25 trying to like figure out my place and my role within myself but I don't think um there's 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 nothing there's for me there's no animosity there but I do understand how 
young players, like let's say you grow up, let's say you grow up uh, like, like me, a child of immigrants, um, with very little to relate to in terms of, to, in terms of um, Mozart. Mm-hmm. You know who who wrote for the court. You know what I mean? Like right. he, you know, and this is this is this is this is high society music that doesn't have any visceral um, relation. Um, so so I could understand a kid growing up. You get a violin thrust in your hand. Now music is music, and music is beautiful, right? So you get a violin, you get the sound. You listen to you know you listen to Bach, you listen to you know Beethoven or Schubert or whatever, and you hear this, and it does objectively sound beautiful but yet you can't necessarily relate because what what do these dead guys have to do with me right you know so I think I can't speak for anybody else but I can see how that could be a thing and I think for me my whole my whole experience has been trying to um kind of come to come come to grips no that's not really the right word but just sort of a sort of write and put out music that is a true reflection of my environment and where I've gone as a person and who I who I feel I am. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So um what was your journey then? You said you're a child of immigrants. Where where'd you grow up? Queens. So right here in New York. Right here in New York. So uh I spent like I was I, when I was really little I grew up in Jackson uh Jackson Heights, mm-hmm. Elmhurst. And then my parents moved we we moved to Belrose, Queens, which is like this. It's like it's like nothing happens in in, in, in Belrose. It's it's a it's a, at the time it's different now. It's all South Asian now. Uh, a lot of Indian, Pakistan, Bangladesh there now. But when I was growing up, it was all Irish Italian, working class Irish Italian, middle class, uh, middle working class Irish Italian, and me. <laughs> so um, that was that was an interesting experience too. No no Asians in that neighborhood besides me on the block anyway. And uh of course your environment informs who you are. Right. Um as a person. So uh, and a lot of the kids were we, we you know we were into a lot of the kids were into like hardcore punk and heavy metal. A lot of heavy metal. Um for me the first the first thing I think I was God. 1987? Well, how old? 11. Yeah, I was 11, year, 11 years old, and some kid let me hear, uh, I think Def Leppard's Hysteria had just come out. You know? I, I very distinctly remember that record. Yeah. It was, it was big. Life-changing for me. Like, I, I, I'd never heard music like that before. Now, were you already playing by then? Yeah. When I was, did you start playing violin? When I was four. Okay. So that was like, my parents put me in. So I only had classical music as a reference, actually, oddly enough, which was interesting. To me, that like, <laughs> which is interesting. I don't know. To me, that's pretty arrogant. I don't know, uh, but but it was it was pretty interesting that I really only knew before I knew Def Leppard, I only knew Bach. And it was like, wow. Yeah. So it was like this total mind uh, mind. Can I can I curse on podcast? You can. All right. Wow. I'm gonna try it again. <laughs> no. So yeah. Um, it was a complete mind. Um, and of course, you know, they, they, a lot, a lot of metalheads joke that it's like, like Def Leppard is kind of like a gateway drug, you know? Yeah. So, so it's totally a gateway drug. It's true. Cause then from there, very shortly after was, 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 uh, was Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, mm-hmm. which was also a killer, killer album, which I find funny now. It's a similar, I'm going to digress. Like 
there's 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 you know you 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 play club dates and everybody wants to hear like sweet child of mine and it's like the most you know in in the new way basic thing like it's kind of like it's so blase and so passe and like whatever and and it's just the music that like really boring uh you know bros from south jersey get married to in 1987 that album was kind of like a a big deal for 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 me in its context you know if you're looking at what was happening in music at the time when that came out it it was a huge statement sure absolutely absolutely remember the cover that got banned like the original cover was a a woman who was assaulted on the on the ground and it was a robot it was like this robot rapist i had forgotten about that that was the original cover and then they were like whoa no 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 and then they replaced it with this with the cross cross. and 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 the skulls but the original, the original, which they put on the back. But the original cover was that the woman who was assaulted, a picture of a woman who was assaulted. I had forgotten about that. So that's that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> so <coughs> yeah, um, and from from there, uh, Metallica's uh, Master of Puppets mm-hmm. was shortly in the space of like two weeks for me. And once Metallica hit, I mean, that's it. Yeah, forget it. From there, Slayer. You know, I was really big into the Big Four, and also the, the the scene in my neighborhood. There was a there was a there's like a local hardcore scene too. So like my very first show was a hardcore show, um, in a church basement. Uh, Our Lady of Lords um, in Queens Village had like uh, sort of like all ages hardcore shows um, on the weekends. And uh, my first show that I went to with, with, uh, with some neighborhood friends was, uh, this band called No Redeeming Social Value. Um, another band called Shift. Uh, that was pretty crazy. So that, so I, I kind of lived in two different worlds, I guess, musically that like I would, I would go to Saturday, um, Saturday music school, you know, which was, you know, an all day affair. Right. Um, and then I would also uh, I would also be going to these like sort of like I would be sneaking out because my parents would never if they knew like you know if they knew what was going on they right. would never you know so I was like sneaking out to go to these hardcore shows um, and metal shows so that was kind of like it was they always existed it's always been that way for me but I don't it wasn't until like more recently that I was kind of figuring out how to actually make an honest picture of the of the two that like that that there were there were walls there mm-hmm. but I didn't figure out until relatively recently I think that these walls are actually completely artificial I told you there were two versions of Earl this is where Earl brings violin to metal. This is a tune called Mr. Dark from Earl's band Resolution 15. There are no guitars in anything you're hearing. Bass, drums, violin, and vocals. Like, I remember, I remember being in Aspen Music Festival, 
and like and, 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 and the culture of this sort of like mother hen, you know, Dorothy Delay and like you know, and like this culture of like this mother hen and being like, Okay, well all the kids have to do you know, like like it was very sort of like master apprentice but very authoritarian kind of a thing. So there was this culture, Galamian culture that kind of like ensconced like the whole violin world. And if you grow up in that culture too you don't see the artificiality for what it is or not not immediately so and then of course i was also simultaneously growing up in in you know really getting into the big four you know thrash big four um you know sick of all crow mags youth of today that kind of stuff like the new york hardcore mm-hmm. stuff too so for me it was very compartmentalized it was very like well i do this on friday nights and i do this on saturday nights wow you know what i mean like it was not so there was never any thought about, hey, I want to actually play this music. No. Well, uh, uh, vaguely, I guess, like, I used to, like, play around and, like, do, like, like Slayer and, like, Metallica solos. Well, Slayer solos is just, like, really just freaking out. Yeah. Like, just karaoke. <laughs> you know, like, it's not really any notes that you need. It's more like, you know, just, just think, <laughs> your fingers around like, a lot. You know. Um, but, 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 um, I would kid, I, I would play stuff on the violin. But it didn't occur to me to make that an artistic voice with a capital A or V or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever people kind of figure out at some point. So your career at this point, are you still in school? No. Oh, no. So you you graduated school or or finished school and and you're playing music for a living or what are you doing? Yeah. I, uh, I I play, uh, I play music for a living. Um, I do a combination of, I, I suspect many, many musicians do this too we just we we do what pays the bills we play we play music that we don't necessarily always like but even though we don't like it we do our best we 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 do we do a lot i do a lot of club dates um i teach a lot well and, i want to um, i want to go back to this time at this time oh yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah. about in high school oh right. you're talking about high school college yeah so in high school college oh, yeah. oh i see i see so are you are you playing music like you're playing a lot of classical stuff at this time and then partying on the weekend. Yes. And then, so, when you finished school, did you go to music school? Yeah. I went to, first I went to, I went to Queens College, but for music, and I studied with a woman named Margaret Pardee, who, uh, she, she, uh, she was an acolyte of, uh, Galamian. Okay. Galamian. And, uh, I studied with her for a while, and then, and then I switched. She was getting kind of old, and I mean, like, she's legendary, but, legendary teacher, but she was also kind of like, I felt like she wasn't, she was of the old guard, absolutely of the old guard, where you like had to like come to a, you know, your lesson like wearing like and like tucking in your shirt and she, your hair got too long. She'd be like, "Your hair's getting a little long, honey." You know, like this. She's a woman from Georgia. You yeah. know, you know, it's out of tune, honey. And then she like whistled. And, <laughs> you know, and you know, like, but but she she was great for a particular time and place. But for me, already having this kind of like. I guess punk ethos in my head already and kind of not and and not understanding the full picture but already struggling against sort of um, enforced boundaries Mm -hmm. I already it didn't sit well she didn't sit well with me like you know what I mean like I I really I really loved her because I knew she was a very well-meaning person and a great teacher too but just we were of two different vanguards sure um, and so I didn't stay with her too long in Queens, um, and I switched over to a man named Danny Phillips, 
who is the uh, one of the violinists in the uh, Orion String Quartet. Okay. And he was a lot better of a fit. Not that he was like, you know, uh, he, he wasn't like participating in any kind of, like, you know, um, rock subcultures like me. He's also another straight up classical guy. But he was very open minded and he was very, very, very kind of like you explore you kind of a thing and where you want my help and you ask for it, I'll give it to you freely kind of a guy. Um, treasure trove of knowledge. Um, which, but wasn't enforced on me. Like, he didn't really hew to that kind of, like, I'm the master, you're the apprentice, you're the apprentice, you don't ask any questions, you just shut up and, you know, I think, you know, like, he was much more, much more allowing his students to be curious. This is a Seven Sons version of a tune Earl wrote called Yama. The music is centered around the phrase, you will die alone. It was written with the works of the 15th century Indian mystic poet and Saint Kabir in mind. The overarching theme of this poetry is the seeking of the absolute and that ordinary grasping and ambitions of humans is useless in the face of death, or Yama. Because I think there are so many of those teachers out there, the, the, the master apprentice teachers. Do we feel like that they're creating outstanding artists? Or do we feel like they're just creating trained monkeys that are, that are trying to explore the exact same things that have been explored for the last 200 years? That's a great question. I don't, I think it's an, I don't, I, I'll tell you this. I don't think it's an either or. I don't think it's an either or. Because... On the one hand, some element, I think certain elements, because of the violin and the viola and the string instruments in general, being as fiendishly difficult as it is to master. And I don't mean like these that kind of like, like can play like some like the instrument, like, oh yeah, that's cute, yeah, whatever, getting, you know, like, you know, I, I don't mean that kind of stuff. And like, now you're rocking out, that's to actually have real mastery of this instrument is fiendishly difficult. Mm -hmm. And in order to achieve that, I do actually believe that some element of the master-apprentice relationship has to be necessary at some point. Now, it could be self-driven, actually. So there's that aspect too. But um, I think it's a difficult question and one with no easy answers because there's no... You can't just be like, hey, man, whatever you feel, man, you want to put your finger over there, man, you want to put your bow over here, yeah, man, that's cool. Right. And it doesn't work. <laughs> at least if you want, okay, let me, let me, at least if you want to get a certain tone out of the instrument, if you want to get, if you want a certain ease of bow technique in a certain way, there's no way out besides relentless, like, OCD, boring hard work. It's true. And the only way for OCD hard work, a remarkable person possibly could do it without this, without the, you know, without any element of, of external uh, master apprentice kind of a thing, because then it would be self-driven, mm -hmm. self-motivated. Like they're not, then, then 
for sure, then that kind of a teacher is not necessary. You know, um, I don't know how to answer you. It's basic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But I, 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 so it's complicated. It's complicated. It's neither yes or no. I think if 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 a student comes up and has look, I had that master apprentice relationship with I was you know with 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 my teachers too. And I, of course, rebelled against it, but that's the paradigm. I had something to rebel against. Right. That's true. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was the, I, the, the, the technique was infused in me, and then it was infused in me, and I was ready to say, F-. but it, I, I have that technique, and I didn't get it. You have to have a wall to push against. Right. Yeah. And then there's no wall, now what? Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting conundrum. Sure. So after school... What, what was your what was your career path? What was your plan? And say I'm in school, I'm gonna become a violinist. What do I want to do with this? Well, when I le- I dropped out of I dropped out of my undergrad because I uh, um, I feel ambivalent about this aspect of my life. Actually, I uh, I joined a hippie band. I was like in this jam band, like you know, like the you know these guys at like Bonnaroo. Yeah, like this kind yeah. of. I was in I was in like a C minus level hippie band. <laughs> like maybe D plus. I'm not. I don't know where the rating is, but we 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 were we were called Blue, and they. I was very attracted to that outfit when I was like 17 because they 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 had like on the good side of mediocre songs, and they had like a following. Like they lived in a house all by themselves. Like you know what I mean? Like they had a house. And they had, like, all these, like, chicks, like, all these, like, pretty girls kind of, like, just following around and, and like, and, it, and to a 17, an 18-year-old kid in college, 17-year-old, 18-year-old sure. kid in college, that's, like, I want to be part of that. I don't yeah. know what's going on, but I want to be a part of that. So yeah. our conversation about, like, creating honest art, creating, uh, you know, through the, through, through, through string instrument, through, through, through the violin and the viola for me, right? Um... That played no role when you're 17, and uh, like the, yeah, yeah. you know, and there these 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 you know this this band that's kind of like out there, and and they they you know I, I joined with them, and I totally joined with them, and happily so, because they their their music wasn't bad, and they had a they had a fan base, mm-hmm. and we got on the road and we toured. I dropped out of school, and I just played major pentatonic for you know and. Smoked a lot of pot. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, it's fun at a certain time, a certain place. Um, so that's what I did for like four years, um, just being on the road. Like I didn't look. I I lived in an RV. I ate really terrible food. Uh, <laughs> you know, like tour life. Man. Tour life. You yeah. know, like and I did it. I did it for for four years, pretty much straight. Um, and then I came back to school. And then the band started. I mean, like we had we had a burst of um, momentum because we had won some. We had won the uh, like Guinness had sponsored a, 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 a Irish contest. Like, and we like some of the band were Irish, and our music had a vaguely Irish flavor to it at the time, or whatever. Which is to say, you can drink to it. Yeah. Right. Which is to say, you could just drink to it. No, but, but but it had an Irish, a little bit of an Irish flavor at the time. Our, our lead singer was this Irish guy too. Um, so. We had this in there, so we won this thing. So we had this huge push in the beginning because we played for ten thousand people at Rails Island, and we uh, we opened for Van Morrison. So like it was like this: oh, we're going to be famous, which is like not ever a good. I think in hindsight, um, it's never a good motivation. 
ever. Like, if that's your motivation, you should just <laughs> quit. <laughs> like, but, that's, but of course, when you're in it, like, and you're sure. like just sort of deep, deep, knee deep or eyeballs deep, and like, yeah. you can't really see the forest from the trees. So, yeah, so I, I, I quit school and I went with this band. And then once that started to die, I came back to school and I uh, got my graduate. I finished, I finished my undergrad. Then I took another year off because I wanted to really get my chops back up mm-hmm. to like a, a real, like a, like a professional, you know, orchestral level, at least, you know, um, I, I, I don't think I was ever really good enough to be like soloist, like Rachel, like Ra- it's, it's funny. So like, uh, I'm talking about Rachel Barton Pine. Yeah. And, the, and Rachel so. is a completely different level of, of animal she's a freak show and I've, I've said it to her face and I mean it with nothing but like jealous jealous love and admiration I hate her <laughs> you know what I mean like I really do she's the, she's the best but um yeah I I, I I never had a chance to get to that point but I, I would say if I were to be really really brutally honest about my skills I I possess I could probably be in a major symphony orchestra if I buckle down and just shove Don Juan and Ein Heidelleben into my head like for a year and kind of like just went and made sure my Boeing so Boeing is exactly this this uh, this speed at this part and this G flat is occupying this the slightly sharp side of G flat like I, I could do it but I don't want to so that's not my scene It'd be a little soul crushing it be very soul crushing not a little <laughs> I know guys in the film that's soul crushing I don't want that job. So that's um, that's where I got to. So I, I did my grad work, but I wanted that level. Right. I wanted I wanted to actually play on that level because to me that means freedom. Mm-hmm. If my fingers do exactly what my brain tells my fingers to do, that's freedom. Like I, I maintain the punk ethic of like mm-hmm. you just play your heart and don't get too calculated about it. Don't don't think too hard. It's an interesting like balance point. That's what I try to tell my students about about technique because it's not any fun working on technique. No, it sucks. But if if you want to be Picasso, you still have to be able to paint in a straight line. Right. You have to understand so, perspective. You have to understand. Can you draw like like you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can you make a hotel painting? Yeah. I mean, it sucks. But can you make a hotel? So painting? you've got to have the ability to take what's in your mind and put it in your fingers, like you're saying. Right. Right. You don't want to get. Um, stopped in your tracks of your vision because your fingers can't do what your brain is telling it to do. I want the limiting factor to be my creativity. Right. Not my fingers. Right. Exactly. So that that's that's the that's why I went back to school. This is a project that Earl and drummer Kenny Grahowski had called Black Heart Sutra. That project involved the two of them getting in a room, hitting a record, and seeing what happened. This is one of the songs that came out of that. The song is called Zersetzen, which is a psychological warfare technique first used by the Nazis as part of accusations against political opponents.
So yeah, so I went to Manus, and then I graduated in 2005. Was it 2005, man? I'm... Yeah, 2000... <laughs> 2005 I graduated, and then uh, and then that's when I started, shortly thereafter I came up with the idea of, that's when I started to realize, hey, I, 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 did, I had done a senior recital where I took Metallica's one, mm-hmm. and I arranged it for string, um, small string orchestra, and me with the lead. Playing, playing the solos and, and, and doing the riffs. On. And all this still on four-string acoustic violin? No, actually, I had just gotten my, uh, my first six-string electric violin, and it was made for me by a friend. So, um, so I, I, had done the, I had done that. My, my, my graduate recital was, was that at Manus. And that kind of got the gears turning, too, where I was just like, wait a minute. I could totally blend my metal stuff with my classical um, technique and and, 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 and and partial classical voice too because I did right. grow up in both both worlds sure for sure you know so so um, that's what that's when the gears started turning and I I, 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 uh, I formed I formed resolution 15 okay so that that's my that's my uh, I guess it's a metalcore band I know it's a it's a that's sort of an ugly word in some circles, but whatever. It's it's metal and hardcore, so yeah. it's a, it's a metalcore band, and uh, you know, we we had a good run. We uh, we we did a lot of good stuff. And, so so tell the listeners about this band and what the what the deal was with this band. So the deal was it was a it, it was it was a band that like totally chucked guitars. We didn't have any guitars, and all the riffing and all the stuff was done by me. And later on, a friend of mine, Joel, joined the band on violin, but I. I, I had to kind of teach him certain certain how to play certain things because this is a new thing you know what I mean like and and to play all that stuff on the low like a low B flat string is kind of there's definitely a learning curve for sure going on so um, so actually yeah learning curve so the band didn't really sound that good actually at the beginning mm-hmm. either because like I was learning like I was figuring out how to get the sound I wanted. Speaking of technique. So this was your concept. It was bass, drums, violin. Bass, drums, violin, vocals. Right. So um, we put out three albums and um, we toured lightly. Um, and uh, it's funny, the band ended for a very uh, very mundane reason and, and I think very uh, very universal. So um, the, the, the drummer... Our, our, uh, my, my friend Kenny, the drummer and the bassist, got into a. They were they were they were in a uh, they were kind of a heterosexual bromance, you know. And then the bromance ended. Yeah. And it was it was they couldn't stand one another. It was and so so uh, Jim, the bassist, left. And so once that happened, coupled with it's I think it was really fate, you know, coupled with um, tours that fell through. My singer not being available for X, Y, and Z, then we couldn't really find a bassist, and it was just kind of like, I'm getting too old for this. Really, we've said what we're going to say. Yeah, we've said what we're going to say, and let's just call it a day. So that was that. And so that was a full time gig for a few years. Um, supplemented by um, supplemented by club dates. I mean, like for sure, if it wasn't for uh, people getting married and asking for Coldplay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I don't think. I don't think uh, anything would have been able to happen.
Earl just talked about his band Resolution 15. This was their biggest single, Sufferers Rise. It was produced and filmed by Corey Unger, the guitarist from the hardcore band Blood Has Been Shed. In other episodes, I've talked about this with um, with Christian Howes and some other people that, you know, don't, the, the word sellout gets tossed around by people that are willing to work at Walmart rather than play music they don't want to play. Well, you know, the only person that you can sell out is yourself. Right. You know. And, and, and I, I feel like if I'm playing my violin, even if I'm playing a song that isn't my favorite song in the world, that's better than doing anything else. Right. So if, you know, somebody wants to offer me a couple hundred bucks to play Paco Bell's Canon and D for their wedding, and that's what helps me pay my rent so that I can go play the music I want to play later tonight, I'm good with that. That's, uh, me too. And you know what? Actually, let me tell you this. Actually, so I'm a, I'm a practicing Buddhist also. And one of the things is that you want to do no harm and you also want to kind of create good, good karma and good generosity uh, you want to create more, you don't want to, you kind of want to like, uh, what's the term? Kind of, uh, increase everyone's happiness by your own generosity. Right. So I remember there was one, one time while I was playing this wedding and it was like Avicii levels. Do you know that song? Oh yes. Right. So, and it was like just the same riff repeated, just over and over and over again. And I was getting pretty dark about it, actually, right? And I and I was hanging out with a friend of mine, um, and she told me, and I was bitching about it. I was just like, this sucks, blah, 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 blah. And my friend was just like, yo, Earl, shut up. And really be grateful. You are playing, your your job is to make people happy. What if you were, what if you were like a military contractor where it's your job to kill people? Or it's your job to like, you know, like just, or, or a corrections officer, or it's your job to, uh, you know, perpetuate suffering, right? No, your job is to actually increase people's happiness. So you should be grateful. So shut up, do your job. I hate when people do that to me. I love it. I love like, it. I was, I was very self-righteous in my little path here. But aren't you corrected? Isn't aren't you grateful? <laughs> yeah. You, you everybody needs a bitch slap every now <laughs> and then. Just like, just shut the <laughs> up and understand that what you're doing is a good thing. Right? Grow up. I, I was, uh, I was in a band for a little while that did a lot of Jimmy Buffett stuff. And if I hear another Jimmy Buffett song for the rest of my life, it'll be too soon. <laughs> and and I was lamenting my fate to this Texas blues giant that I knew and we were sitting there over breakfast at like four in the morning one time and I said man if I gotta play Margaritaville one more time I'll put a bullet in my head and he looked at me and he goes you'll never be that clever <laughs> oh man I don't even like you man yeah it's, it's right you write that song yeah he said you'll never be write anything that clever right thanks man thanks but it's listen truth you know truth hurts but it's great. So, yeah, time. and then it does. It helps you refocus and go, you know what? Somebody wants to hear Canon and D for the 3,000th time in my life. Whatever. They're happy. Whatever. And you know what? Their money funds all my <laughs> shit. Yeah. So, fine. That just bought a distortion pedal. Right. That, well, so. that, like, so we're, 
like my my new string quartet. I have a new string. I have a string quartet called Seven Sons, and uh, we are. So Resolution Fifteen was kind of like Resolution. I have two my two projects, Resolution Fifteen and and uh, Seven Sons. They're kind of mirror images of each other. Mm-hmm. Very much. Very much mirror images. So so. Uh, Resolution 15 was much more I'm bringing violin into metal there's no there's no there's no hint of Mozart there's no hint of Brahms there's no hint of any of that stuff it's just rip your face off we I am fully entrenched in this culture it's just that it's a violin doing this stuff Seven Sons is the exact opposite Seven Sons is bringing the heart and spirit of metal and aspects of hardcore punk into the chamber ensemble, we we mic up. That's yeah. it. Like we'll, we'll we'll mic up because sometimes we play with drums, but some, sometimes we don't. So it's all acoustic instruments, and it's totally just you know just acoustic. In fact, as he's talking about that, we're going to listen to some right now, and um, so I'm going to fly this in to the podcast. Um, and what I want to do is the the video you just put out. Oh, Heathens? The, the yeah. cover? The 21 Pilots yeah. cover? Yeah, so why don't you talk a little bit about that and then, like, sort of maybe get inside what what was your your inspiration there and then we'll, we'll listen to it. Cool. Okay, so so twenty one. So we, we do a cover of uh, 21 Pilots, the song Heathens, which I think for, for as, uh, it's a little unexpected for us because it's it's unabashedly a commercial. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a radio-friendly song. Sure. And, um, and he talked about sellout earlier, right? Which I think is an interesting thing. Um, but for, for, for me, I like to I like to take music, or I like to I like to do art sometimes to separate it from the associations that had come before, me, and then filter it through my creativity. So. If you heard the, you know, listening to, to, to our version, it's not like their version at all. It's recognizable and noble. That's it. You, you, I just, I, I, we just give you enough to understand that this is the song. This is the melody. But what goes on in terms of our underpinning and our, our, our structure is fully consistent and fully um, true to who we are as artists and who, what, what voice we want say. Um, that, that came out of a conversation between myself and Ben Wyman the Dillinger Escape. Uh, uh, brainstorming stuff. Like, you know, because we, we became friends this is a little... Uh, should, these are digressions. Is that okay? So, it's your show. Okay. So, so Seven Sons had covered... I've been, a, I've been a fan of the Dillinger Escape Plan since like 2003. Something like this. Um, they, they are a... Uh, by their admission, they're a punk band, but I guess in the in the wider definition, they're they're, they're kind of a, they're, they're they're a pioneering math core, which I find a, a ridiculous title. But they're they called math core because they play like these incredibly complex, incredibly sort of it's like it's a chaos, it's organized chaos. They sound like like music getting thrown down the stairs and assaulted. Like you don't quite understand what's going on, but they do, <laughs> you know. So, um, uh, anyway, so we we had covered one of their songs, Dillinger's Gate, uh, 43 percent break, and that got their attention. That got because I had tagged Ben and Billy, the drummer, 
on on, 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 on on Instagram and Ben had come to a show and he was just like would you guys want to collaborate and I'm like is Catholic yeah you know come on man I've been a fan of you I've been a fan of this band you're your band for like decades so yes <laughs> you know and so we ended up appearing on their album Seven Sons ended up appearing on their album Dissociation that came out last year and so that started and you know me and Ben became uh, we became pretty good friends so we started like brainstorming like, you know I he signed Seven Sons to his label, Party Smasher. And he said, you know, um, the, the Heathens cover, cover kind of came out of uh, conversations of um, exploration of, 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 of unexpected artistic sources, I think. It was kind of like, wouldn't that be crazy? And then, but it's still true to like what we do. So, that, that's, so, so for us, it was a really cool experience. This is another Seven Sons piece here. This is called Rikers, Songs of the Voiceless One. Seven Sons had volunteered at Rikers Island as part of a project designed to help inmates and correction officers. This movement, called Trevisia, or Three Poisons, is meant to convey the three poisons of delusion, attachment, and aversion in Buddhist philosophy. It's meant to convey the universal experience of how any of us could reasonably end up in a place like Rikers Island. was super super creative and it was just hey let's let's completely destroy the paradigm of what a, a string quartet you know when you when you think string quartet that's not what you think at all yeah thank you no that's exactly because because um i don't think we were actively set, again like going back to the beginning of this podcast i don't think i'm actively trying to trying to like I'm gonna make it my goal to destroy the norms of classical music and de-. like no there's no destruction here you do you what you do and I do what I do right and, you know what I mean like and and and, uh, and I think there's space for everybody but at the same time I I, I, I recognize that certain so-called boundaries and I'm just gonna do what I do right so I think that that's kind of where I'm coming from with with the heathen, with heathens, with the heathens cover, mm-hmm. and actually the whole kind of breakdown of Seven Sons in general, also. So, speaking of destroying paradigms, you recently uh, premiered a concerto. Yeah, I did, and uh, I didn't get a chance to see it. I, I remember seeing the videos of of Rachel going through some of the early manuscripts, I think, and um, I was working when they when they live streamed the thing. But I think I've seen. What was the? Uh, they I think they broadcast on PBS or something. Yeah. Part of the uh, part of the, the sound checks and all that. Yes, it's uh, the rehearsals. There's there's some rehearsal footage up. Phoenix Symphony actually very graciously um, put out about three or four minutes of the second movement. So yeah, uh, it's that's that's a hybrid too. That's the, I think 
it's funny. You write it, you don't think about that. I think it's a mistake to try to think of it like that. You know, you just write what you write. And then, once it's out there, then you try to come up with a name. Right. You know, I, I, I think that's how a lot of great... Not, not that's pretty arrogant. A lot of how a lot of how art is 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 made. I think good art is made. You don't you don't sit there being like I'm gonna make this uh, a hybrid of blah 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 because then if you do that, then you're like stuck in a weird corner. Right. You know, you just do what you do. Just being you. Just be you. And then when all the when once 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 the blood is all over the floor, right? Once the murder has happened, then you look around. And see what happened here. What so can, you know. So yeah, tell people sort of what was the process that you decided. Hey, I'm going to write a concerto, and then you know talk through who all the players are and and, and how all this. Yeah, the story. The, okay, you know, there's a story behind this. Well, it starts from Rachel knowing of Resolution 15, her cold calling me, and she got my number from like just a mutual friend, and she calls me up and she says, "Hi, I'm Rachel Barton Pine. I'm I'm a, I'm a violinist." And I was like, I laughed. I know who you are. Like I was like, listen, it's like the, it's like the Dillinger guys. The yeah. Dillinger guys being like, hey, do you, these these all these guys are like super humble. It's like crazy because like because you know the Dillinger guys too were like, so uh, do you think it'd be cool if we like jammed? Come on, dude, get yeah. the fuck out of here! And then also Rachel too being like, Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm a violinist, and I'm like, get the. Out of here! I'm Rachel. I'm a violinist. That's like you are like I'm a violinist too. Everybody who's a violinist knows who the you are. Yeah, that's not that's not like a thing. You I know, I'm Michael Jordan. I play a little basketball. That's right. It's like yeah. hi, I'm Michael Jordan. I play I play a little basketball. I, I mean, like you know, I'm you know, I'm Derek Jeter. I I, I, I play a little baseball. <laughs> yeah, right. So so anyway, so she called call she cold called me. She goes, she goes, I really like your work in Resolution 15. I was wondering if you could write me. Uh, 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 a solo violin piece completely on the classical end of it um, but I like your voice so just you know make sure that's in there yeah no pressure <laughs> right so yeah no pressure so but I did like I was like alright like I'm, I'm up for the challenge I'm game I think you know uh, one of the one of the finest violinists literally in the entire world is asking me for something. How can I not say no? How could I? How can I say no? Yeah, exactly. I cannot say no. Period. You know. So uh, yeah, I said yes, and I just I, I I did the best I could, and I worked on that for like that was like an eight month thing, I think. And I uh, so you're thinking like, how do I even try to tap into her level of virtuosity? Well, it's it's I took uh, my, my 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 yardstick was I'm gonna play I'm gonna write. The things that are like the hardest, the things that I can possibly play, and then and, and, at 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 about three quarters the speed, right? And I know that like the things that are at the outer edges of my technique, she can actually do, right? Like so, that's how I. That was my yardstick. I was like, is this barely possible for me? Yes, great, she can do it. So. That was that was what it was, and uh, I'd like to share a quote she said to me, and it's she said it, not me. She goes because because this this held true for the concerto too. Because I wrote it, it was it's it's fiendishly difficult. Also, like it's very it's at the outer edges of just stuff. And she goes, I don't know whether you're a, 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 a mad genius or an. <laughs> 
Well, so, a little of each, maybe. No, I just mostly. <laughs> really, yeah, really. No, but but, but um, yeah. So, so the, I wrote this this solo piece for her. She um, she played it a bunch of times. My friend Tito Tito Munoz is the uh, conductor of Phoenix Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. He heard her play it in New York. She gave a concert in New York, and he came to the show, and he heard her play it, and then he called me. And he said, I want you to write an orchestral piece for me. Originally, it was supposed to be for uh, the Tanglewood, uh, Tanglewood Festival Orchestra. He wanted, a, he wanted a tone poem. He wanted, a, he wanted like a 15-minute sort of like a tone poem, mm-hmm. which actually was beyond my uh, capability at, at the time. I, I, I didn't go to school for composition. I don't really understand, like, you know, um, I don't understand why an oboe, you know, what an oboe does, <laughs> you know, like, or any of that stuff. So I, 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 I tried and I failed. I tried and I failed and I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And I, uh, I called Tito up and I was like, hey, man, I'm having a lot of trouble with this commission. Um, can you, can you uh, help me, help me? I, I think I have an idea. I said, I, I think I want to make it a violin concerto. Would you be okay with that? Because I'm comfortable writing for the violin. It's my instrument. Right. I know how to write for the violin. And he said, yeah, make it a violin concerto. Because I said, you know what? I can figure out what the oboe does in context. Right. Uh, left to just this, you know, write a symphonic tone poem. I didn't know what to do. Like, it was just totally like, a, you know. So, um, he, he, he let me do it. He was like, yeah, write, write a concerto. And then I said, let's loop Rachel into it. And I said, Rachel, would you be willing to play a, a, a violin concerto that I wrote? And she very graciously said yes. So that's this. So that's how this happened. Awesome. Yeah, because I think I remember seeing a video of like sort of the early times when she was sort of working through some drafts. Right. And the stuff she was playing was like ridiculously difficult. And it looked, and I'm sure it wasn't, but it looked from the video like she was just sight reading this stuff. Yeah, she was. I wanted to kill myself. Well, no, it, it wasn't exactly sight reading. She was very apologetic. She goes, yeah. she goes, you know, I'm really sorry. I only had seven hours to, to work on it. So, so like, yeah, it reminded me of the time when I was when I was in graduate school, and I remember like slaving over the Glazunov violin concerto. And if if you guys don't know, like the Glazunov cadenza is pretty crazy. Like there's there's a lot there's there's a uh, there's numerous voices going on, and the fingers are doing different, you know, different not. Uh, they're all tongue twisters, yeah. basically, this, this, this cadenza. And I remember spending about six months on this, right? And, 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 and being able to play it, you know, a little under tempo, kind of attitude. But, you know, all right. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds it's recognizable. It's recognizable. Sounds okay. You know, I know what you're playing kind of a thing, right. right? And that took me six months. And I remember Rachel apologizing that she had seven hours to, 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 to play my concerto. And that was about the level of where, where my concerto was. You know, a little under tempo, some 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 clams here and there. After seven hours, I was like, I hate you so much because it's, if I had to play my concerto, I would need like three years, like in a forest, yeah, <laughs> alone. Just like caffeine just pumped in, caffeine pumped in, and really going over stuff slowly. Let's get, let's get like, Maxim Vangeroff in here to give me some tips. Yeah. Right, you know, like it would really like. It would really... I would need three years to do what she did in, like, you know, a few... A a few like, well, yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so there's that. Yeah. 
It's, I, I think a lot of people don't understand how good she is. Yeah, I guess. I, uh, she is, yeah, she is honestly one of the best violinists on the planet. Her technique is unassailable. Nobody can touch her. This is the audio from the rehearsal video that the Arizona Symphony shared. This is Rachel Barton Pine playing Earl's Concerto. Sorry for the audio quality. It's basically from a cell phone camera in the balcony of an auditorium. So I would say, uh, guys, just check out our album for the heart still beating, Seven Sons. Um, it's out on Party Smasher, um, and you can get it on Bandcamp and probably iTunes and all the assortment. Yeah, go don't don't be cheap. Don't download the thing. Go buy it. Support art. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually had a conversation with Alex Depew about the same thing. That, that he was like. You know, everybody's, oh, we love you, we love your music. He goes, then go buy it. Then go buy it. Go buy it. Right. You know, it's it's 10 bucks. Go buy it. Right. You know, if you saw me in a bar, you would buy me a beer. Right. So this is like a beer. That's right. You would buy me a beer. You would buy me a beer. So, buy me a beer. Right. (laughs) Buy my album. Buy me a beer. And, uh, yeah. That's right. So well, that's, uh, I think think I've covered everything. Have have I covered everything for you? I think so. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. I think it's going to be a good episode. I hope so. <laughs> Do you think uh, I, I will ask another question while we're here? Um, you've got a you've got a little girl. Yeah. How has being being a punk and being a rebel against authority? How has being a dad sort of how, how has that affected you? Well, I think it's it's having a kid. Well, my my kid is like. She's very strong-willed, and she's very. She just does whatever she wants to. Your kid is awesome. 
So thank you. But she's she's you don't live with her. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love her, and she's she is she's my heart. But she's also very strong willed. So the two of us, and also my wife is very strong willed too. She's no shrinking violet. This one either. Well, she's know? married to you, right? There's no, yeah. there's no. It's a lot of this. Yeah, you know, a lot of butting heads. You know, so I think. For, for for me, the best the best gift my my daughter has given me is 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 me being forced to um, get past my own or like have to like understand. Oh well, you're getting angry because she just knocked down your ego a couple of notches. You that that has nothing to do with her. That's you. Yeah. So 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 don't don't take that. Her, because that's that's you, buddy. <laughs> you know, this is your 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 experience, and your duty as a father is to figure out what the best thing is for her, not what the best thing is for you. So I think that's the lesson that she's she's teaching me every day. I think my daughter is my teacher. I think that's as as as, uh, and that's actually pretty. I think that's pretty rebellious too. For how to you know, it's usually our elders that are mm-hmm. our teachers, but for me, my little one is my teacher. How has that affected your art? You have to be really um, on a practical level. I mean, on a on a on a on a spiritual or, or, or spiritual or, or artistic level, I can't say because you can't really talk about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? But on a on a practical level, you have to get much more. I'm way more organized than I've ever been because you know you only have this amount of time before you know she gets home from school. I have this amount of time to do stuff. Okay, now I have to send her to ballet. I have to do this. I have to, okay, so now this time is this time. And then the time that I have with my daughter is this time. I'm not going to go, like, I don't have time for other stuff. Right. So it becomes very, like, really be organized about when you go do, when you create, I think. Yeah. So now you're doing, you're doing the Seven Sons Project. You're teaching. You're sort of picking up whatever filing gigs you can left and right sort of sure but that's but that's the life of a of a gigging musician and a and a, and a writer and, a, and an artist in, in new york city yeah you just try to keep it together man <laughs> you know what I mean? you just do your best to kind of piece together something that works and i suspect that pretty much everybody that you talk to is gonna probably tell you the same thing that like everybody just sort of pieces together and they just do the best they can and, and they try to do their best to get, you know, put on a there and, and, and just make it work. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's not a, uh, there's no formula. There's no, you know, you keep your head above water and you live to fight another day and then you be as artistic as you can. That's the, I think that's it. Be you. But just, that's it. Just keep fighting. Awesome. Well, thanks for the interview, man. Dude. Fantastic. It was really good to see you. You too, man. So that's our interview with Earl Manian. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Rockstar Violinist. Be sure to check out Earl Manian on social media, follow his band Seven Sons, and buy their new album. It's fantastic, it's creative, and it's well worth a couple bucks. As we leave, this is one of the most Earl moments I can imagine. 
This is a song called Current by Resolution 15. The solo you'll hear when I finally stop talking was never meant to be a keeper. Earl was just goofing off, and he actually tracked this with his pants around his ankles and making faces at the guys in the booth because he thought it was going to be a scratch track. Of course, they decided to keep it. 